Hi, my name is Renita, and I am your host of the Be Your Own Kind podcast. My podcast aligns with idea of my blog of feeling comfortable with you. I'm excited to share topics and ideas with you today. Thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the Be Your Own Kind brand, welcome. If you like what you hear and see, please subscribe to the Be Your Own Kind YouTube channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, please follow me. Also in the description box, you can find my Linktree link to all Be Your Own Kind related matters, such as the BYOK merch, where we sell items from t-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, and mugs. Also, you will find our website and the links to my social media pages. Also, we are always looking to collaborate with others, such as business owners, vloggers, bloggers, or just if you simply want to share your story. Last but not least, if you are looking to promote your business, Be Your Own Kind will gladly promote you. If you are interested in details, please email me at info at beyourownkind.com. Thank you for tuning in and for supporting the Be Your Own Kind platform. Have you ever felt restricted, disrespected, and ridiculed for choosing to be yourself over what people thought you should be? If so, how did that make you feel? Did it make you feel hopeless, alone, or cast out? Or did you rise above it and continue to walk in your truth? Today our guest Amber Rose Washington decided to walk in her truth and be her own kind. Not only is she a mother of four beautiful children, well known in the music industry and an author of the best-selling book Hiding From Myself, but she expressed she knew at a young age that she was not assigned to the correct body. According to a 2019 study, 31% of transgender youth have been sexually assaulted, 24% have been threatened or injured with a weapon, and 27% have felt unsafe in school. Sadly, 35% of transgender youth have attempted suicide, while 44% have considered it. We live in a world where people use gender, sexual preference, race, and religion as a weapon to attack other people's character. We disrespect and shun people who are innately experiencing things that we don't understand. Instead of making a person feel inconsequential, what does it hurt to get to know a person? What does it hurt to spread kindness and give respect? In this episode, we will listen to a courageous woman that has chosen to live an incredible life despite the odds against her and hate thrown at her. Amber Rose Washington is an advocate for the transgender community and has dedicated her life to create a safe haven for those unsupported in the transgender community. I ask that you listen with an open heart, find inspiration, and understand that everyone has the right to be their own kind. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with small business tasks? Well, Be Your Own Kind Freelancing is here to take the weight off. We specialize in assisting businesses with various administrative duties, HR consulting, online marketing, and editing services for podcasters and YouTubers. If you have a need we haven't mentioned, contact us to see if we can help. For more information, email us at info at beyourownkind.com. Leave the tedious task with us and take your time back. Hi, Amber. How are you doing today? Hi, Renita. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being a guest. I'm so excited. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course. Um, My name is Amber Rose Washington, and I uh, 
I grew up in a really small town in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains. I, I don't know if any of your listeners know where that is, but if you've it's ever beautiful. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It was where, you know, my town was was what they based the movie Dirty Dancing on. Um, the you know, from Patrick Swayze's day. Uh-huh. And, and we were also that area where all the old comedians used to get their start, like in the Catskills. If um, like for example, Joan Rivers, Jerry Seinfeld, Sid Caesar, all those old, old school sort of folks. But by the time I was born, it was all going downhill, girl. It was all leaving us. It, so it was it was des- it was like a deserted ghost town. All these hotels, everything were shut down. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were left with this skeleton basically of this 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 town and, and county that used to be very popular. So I, I used to tease my friends and say, you know, we live in a town where there's more deer than people. <laughs> this can get scary real quick. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, so growing up in that area, you know, I, you know, the thing is, is I was born a little differently than a lot of people. Right. So um, by the time I was um, four years old, I knew innately, subconsciously and consciously that I was not a boy. I was assigned male at birth and I knew I was a girl. And, you know, when you're congruent, uh, like yourself, congruent meaning, you know, you, you have, you're a female and you have the mind of a female and the body of a female, Mm -hmm. or conversely, you have a male brain and a male body you don't really think about it. It's a subconscious thing. You just innately know, you know, I'm a boy or I'm a girl. It's, it's easy for you. You take it for granted because 93, 99.3% of the population is painfully unaware that that's even a thing because it's just part of who you are and you never have to think twice. But when you're incongruent, which is what I was born, um, it becomes a very painful and conscious thought each and every day. And we've later learned it took decades to, to know this. It hasn't helped me much other than knowing that, okay, we sort of know what caused it. Um, in the first trimester of pregnancy, we know that the body and the reproductive organs differentiate in the, in the, in the fetus. So during gestation, that's what happens in the first trimester. And we also know that in the second trimester is when the brain begins to differentiate. So once again, mom is giving hormones, you know, whichever they are to, to that, that, that young soul growing inside of her. And for one reason or another, doctors are not quite sure, just like they're not sure of what causes leukemia in infants, right? Uh Um, They're not quite sure why, but somehow in the second trimester of pregnancy, they feel my body rejected that and people that are transgender that typically happens that for some reason your brain did not differentiate with your body. So the, a a really great neurologist once told me that the female brain, when you look at the female brain, the cortical region, which is the cortex Uh is very thick, has a thick lining around it. And that's, that's very, very typical of a female brain. 
that's, you know, females have a thick cortex. When you look at a male brain, it's very, very thin. Um, when you look at my brain, it's very, very thick. So, you know, there's, there's this, this overlaying of the medical science behind this, this whole innate feeling of, or sense of who you are that says, well, your brain physically formed, and I don't mean mentally, I mean physically formed female. Um, there are inherent differences between the way boys act and the way girls act, right? And right. it's not its not your mom or your dad that taught you that way. It's just, there's this, this sensibility that we all have within us, this, this uh, way we, we act. Um, you know, boys act a certain way, girls act another way we have stereotypes for what a boy should do or a girl should do. Exactly. That's different. That's society dictating. Like girls need to wear dresses and boys need to wear pants and girls can take ballet, but boys shouldn't take ballet. Girls can grow their hair long. Boys should get a crew cut when they're little, you know, and stuff like that. Things I went through that was, they were all very painful for me because I couldn't figure out because at the age of four, you don't know your anatomy at the age of four. Right. I had no idea what my anatomy was. Right? right. I just knew they were treating me differently than my sister and I couldn't figure out why. So here I was four years old and I am somebody's son, somebody's grandson, somebody's nephew and somebody's brother. And my sister was, was, was the opposite of all of those things. And I couldn't figure it out um, in my head. And I would ask my mom little questions. And then there was this one time we used to say our prayers every night by the bed. So mm-hmm. we'd kneel up against the bed and we'd bless ourselves. And I was, I was brought up Catholic and um, we'd kneel by the bed and say all of our prayers together. So mom would kneel right next to me. And, and I remember Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And then she would say, okay, now you're old enough. Start giving God your own prayer. Make it something personal. Make it something fun. Just talk to God any way you want. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that we memorized like we just did. Just talk to him. You know, like sort of like when we say, God bless my sister and my parents, right, like personal, God bless my, my friends and, and, and relatives. So she goes something like that. Go ahead. And I was like a little nervous. And I said, okay. And I, I got real close to the bed and I put my, I put my two hands together next to my head. And I said, God, if you hear me, please fix me by the morning. And my mom goes, Oh, honey, what's wrong? Are you sick? Are you feeling sick? And she puts her hand on my forehead and I'm like, no, I I don't feel sick. She goes, what's the matter? And she looks at me. And at that very moment, she says that I started to cry. I started crying at four years old and, and, and she couldn't figure out why. And she gave me a big hug and she says, what's the matter? And she said, it took a long time for me to finally come out and say, mom, am I a boy and a girl? She goes, why would you say that? Um, Cause she didn't know that I was already going through this, this personal hell every day. And mm-hmm. she said, why would you say that? No, honey, you're just my handsome little boy. And I have to be honest. I was really disappointed with that answer. Cause I was hoping she would just say, no, you're my little girl, but we have to do things differently with you because of this. And so I really, you know, 
I really didn't know what to do until she said, you know, cause mom, my God, mom is the person you trust the most in life at four years old. She is your everything. Yeah. Right? Yes. So I said, I said, I didn't know what to do. So mom said, listen, honey, a lot of little children have a little bit of confusion and it's probably a phase that you're going through. It's mm-hmm. quite okay. Don't you worry about it. I promise you, you're going to be just fine. Okay. And she gives me a kiss on my forehead, tucks me in. And you know what? I felt amazing. It's in my book, right? I felt so amazing from mom saying that to me because, you know, here she was, you know, my dad was of course, very instrumental in my life, but you know, back in the seventies and eighties, daddy was the moneymaker and, you know, mommy dealt with the emotional things. Right. Right. And so mom just told me, you know, point blank, everything is going to be okay. Not to worry. So I didn't worry. I said, okay, mom has this. I'm just overthinking all of this. I'm going to be fine. And by the next morning I was not fine. And the next day after that, I was just not fine. The feeling kept coming back. And so every single night at prayers, I would say, God, please fix me by the morning. God, please fix me by the morning. And it would take years for me to finally say to God, okay, listen, let's make a different deal. (laughs) Whatever this I'm going through, just take it away from me. I don't want it. I don't want whatever this is. I don't, I don't want to be like this. Um, and that, that was one of the things that I first learned that, you know, it's not a feeling. They said, so you felt like a girl? And I often tell people, I said, I never felt like a girl. I never felt female. I knew I was a girl and I knew I was female. There's a huge difference between, oh, I feel like a girl and I know I'm a girl, right? Well, so, what's the difference? Because that is the misconception of yeah. it's all mental, it's all in your head. And you just described like the neurology of it, which which I'm just learning now about that, you know. So what how can what is the difference? Can you explain to the audience what is the difference? Back then I couldn't, but now I can that I'm older, right? Because okay. I learned a whole lot. And mm-hmm. and basically the difference that I was experiencing back then is Every person on planet earth, and people love to deny this all the time, but it's the truth between the, we call it the age of articulation. Uh And it usually runs between the ages of three and eight years old. And every person, you know, between the ages of three and eight understand innately. I say that word innately because it's subconscious that you're a boy or you're a girl. It's just there. You never have to think about it. Like you don't wake up one day and say, hmm, I'm combing my hair. Why did, why am I a girl? Or, or you're brushing your teeth and you look in the mirror and you say, hmm, why am I a boy and not a girl? 99.3% of the human population never, ever, ever, ever have to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But 0.7% of us, right. Less than 1% of the human population. We have that as a conscious thought each and every day at that age of articulation, that age where you become self-aware of your surroundings and, and who you are in, 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 in a little way. You don't discover who you are in this grandiose way. It's, it's a slow process, right? Okay. But the most primal of those processes is knowing that I'm a boy or I'm a girl, you know, stuff like that. Um, and um, 
you know, I learned a lot about this, especially from people that are intersex. I don't know if you know what that word means, um, but I'll explain it. Okay, thanks. Intersex is people that are born with ambiguous genitalia. So they used to call them way back in the day, and it's a very, very derogatory term. It's called hermaphrodite. Okay. Oh, okay. That's that's a derogatory term. So that's not used because it was used to really tear the humanity out of people in the 1800s and early 1900s. So um, the medical community, you know, call it intersex and you can, you can actually be, you know, you know how they describe DNA. This is one of the funniest arguments I always have with people because they're like, you're either XX, which is a woman or XY. That's a, that's a, that's a man, you know, male is XY women is XX. If you have, if you have an, excuse me, I'm going to say a couple words. If you have a penis, you're a boy. If you have a vagina, you're a girl. And they look at it solely from reproductive organs. But what they fail to realize is that the largest sexual organ in, in the human body is actually the human brain. The most complicated organ in the universe is the human brain. And you can't see that readily. Some people are born, um, like myself, with a brain that is not in sync with their body. The, their brain formed in one let's just say one gender and their body in, in another with, with, with regard to sex and sexual characteristics with intersex people. Um, they can still have the XX or XY or a variation of that XXY, for example. Mm-hmm. And what happens to them is they can be born with a uterus and a penis. Oh. It could be born with, with a vagina and a prostate. It's any, any iteration you can possibly fathom to come up with is out there. And I have friends that I've met along my journey that have been born that way. And what happened back in the day is the mom, the dad, and the doctor would say, well, we have to make a choice. How do you want to raise this person uh, as a boy or a girl? And they would go, well, we wanted a boy. So let's, let's, let's keep, let's, let's have boy go here. Or in other case, it would be, no, I want a girl. I want a daughter. So let's, you know, let's leave, let's make it girl. But how fair is that? Because what if, what if they get it wrong? You know? Exactly where I'm going. You're so smart. Yeah, exactly. I love you. (laughs) That's exactly the point. You know, the only person on this planet that can tell you who you are is actually you. And for years and years, they were, they were guessing. They were throwing a coin in the air and heads, it's a boy, tails, it's a girl. Mm -hmm. And they were getting it wrong more than 50% of the time. And those people were miserable and they were starting to, you know, run into issues in in school with bullying and everything else. And, you know, a huge suicide rate and um, a lot of, a lot of folks that were just terribly uncomfortable on like unnatural in their own skin and same thing with folks like myself which is a different issue altogether whereas instead of my genitalia forming incorrectly or or actually having both sets of genitalia which happens a lot for me I was you know I just have that brain that was born differently and it's sort of this unnatural feeling that you get when you're very young. So you asked earlier, you know, how, you know, what's the difference? How do you know innately that you're a girl when you have a boy's body? 
um, everything felt unnatural. I remember a story my mom told me. She grew up in the 40s and 50s. And it used to be declared actually by the church and by schools, a sin to be born left-handed. Because of course, Jesus Christ sits on the right-hand side of God. So some religious sex somewhere came up with a really weird thing. And the nuns used to force children that were left-handed to write right-handed, to eat right-handed, to do everything right-handed. They would smack them with rulers, all sorts of things. And then later on, it became uh, this other mythology appeared uh, in in society that was left-handed people are less intelligent than right-handed people. So that's why we're converting you to a right-handed person. Because if you stay lefty, you're going to be less intelligent. It was all this weird mythology surrounding, you know, the, you know, why is someone left-handed? So for me, it was like, you know, be, I, incidentally, I am left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I got two strikes against me. Oh my God. Um, but it was that unnatural. And, and I like to, I like to always, I like to always say things like, um, you know, did you see the movie Avatar? with the blue people yeah yeah Yeah. and you know how they were remotely you know that they would lay in this little thing and they would remotely Mm -hmm. control that's what it felt like for me even though avatar didn't exist back then i felt like i was remotely controlling this body that i had and 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 it felt like it was sort of like this in your reality yeah it was like realizing you were switched at birth but instead of being given to the wrong family you were given to the wrong body, if you can think about it that way. And that, you know, as I got older and older, that started to make a lot of sense to me. My goodness. Yeah. It's, you know, I was switched at birth, but before I came out, you know, I I came out and said, hello world, surprise. And the world yelled right back out to me. Oh, we have a bigger surprise for you. (laughs) And and there I was. Right. Right. Um, how did that affect your your relationships like growing up in school and things of that sort? That's a great question. And, and that's also in the book um, multiple times because all during my school years, I was bullied. Not because people knew I was, you know, I, I that I was a girl, right? They, uh-huh. they just knew I wasn't, I didn't fit the mold of what a boy was. So I would get beat up on. And I, I, I ended up from that um, writing at the age of like, I think I was only 13. I wrote things discriminated against, persecuted, repressed, profiled, bullied, verbally assaulted, physically assaulted, threatened with death. And in the worst case scenario, you could be killed for just being who you are. As I grew up, I started looking at some of those words and added some more to that, which came up with that whole thing, which it, absolutely describes, you know, the demographic I fall within. We're one of the most marginalized demographics, you know, in the world. Um, Probably because there's so few, there's not many of us, right? A misconception is that you can learn to be transgender or you can unlearn to be transgender, sort of what they do with people that are gay. They came up with these conversion camps where they basically abuse the person to, to, tell them you're not gay. You're going to, you're going to like boys or you're going to like girls, depending on what sex you were. And, um, 
it just doesn't work because you can't learn or unlearn to be the way you were born because your brain physically formed that way, right? Right. And, and before, you know, science, medical science and, and psychology caught up with it, we have this thing called the DSM, which, which describes every mental illness, you know, on the planet. Right. And one of the other things that we have to deal with, you know, like back in school, nobody really knew that I was, was that way, but I was bullied and beat up a lot more picked on a lot and jeered at and called a little girl. And, you know, one story I was, I was getting my clothes in the fifth grade out of my locker after gym class. And these two boys walked up behind me and put me in, I guess you call it a bear hug. I don't, I don't even know. Just put me in a, a, a grip behind my neck and stuff and lifted me up in the air. And that while the other boy pulled off my shorts and my underwear, which today would be, you know, sexual uh, assault, I yeah, guess. And they threw me into the cold showers. They threw me across the room into the cold showers naked. And then said, as I, as I grabbed my knees up to my face and covered my face into my knees and crying, Oh, look at the little girl cry. And the people that I thought were my friends were sitting there laughing along with them. And that was just so disheartening. If they didn't laugh, then they would be picked on. Probably. That's how school works, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is probably why they did that. Um, But, you know, being bullied, that's just a little piece of it things got confusing for me because I was, I was hit with a double whammy. There's some people that are, we call them straight or heterosexual. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, you know, you're, you're, you're attracted to the opposite gender. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's people that are homosexual people that are attracted to the same gender. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that are transgender people that are born assigned, you know, something at birth, like me, I was assigned male at birth, but, you know, I'm, I'm innately female. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's cisgender. That's an, that's a word. A lot of people don't really know, but the, the prefix cis means on the same side of, so cisgender would be describing you, for example, you are cisgender, you're congruent, meaning I'm a female and I'm absolutely great with that. There's no problems with, with that. I have no, no incongruity um, to speak of about that. Well, that DSM I was talking about has something called gender dysphoria. And it used to be called gender identity disorder, which was a mental illness. So by the time I was 18, I was diagnosed with a mental illness called gender identity disorder. And it wasn't really a mental illness. And they later found out that they were completely wrong on that topic. Um, and, you know, the only cure for that mental illness was to go through transition, which is, you know, the stuff that I've already done, which is, you know, hormone replacement therapy um, and, and some surgeries to correct, you know, that first puberty that created so much damage to me because, you know, before puberty, we're all kind of androgynous, right? Right. Um, Puberty was absolute hell for me. Everything was going the wrong way. I saw all my girlfriends a couple of years before me blossoming. And I was, 
you know, there was no internet back then. I thought, I thought back then that, hey, this is going to happen for me, even though everything's messed up and I'm being called a boy and stuff. I'm going to still be able to do this. And at the age of 10 or 11, I still thought I could get pregnant. I actually believed that I could, there's probably a way that that would happen for me. I didn't understand anatomy. We didn't have the internet. We lived in a little town. Remember all those deer that outnumbered us? (laughs) We didn't have much information up there. You were Bambi and them. So, so, and then, you know, gender dysphoria replaced that. And gender dysphoria described on a, a spectrum from zero to 10. Zero meaning it doesn't affect me at all. 10 meaning it's really hard for me to get along in society and get along in life because this is bothering me so bad. Mm. The gender dysphoria is on the same mental health um, scale as somebody with depression or anxiety. And I just described 65 million Americans. So Mm -hmm. 65 million Americans suffer from anxiety or depression. So when people say, Oh, well, you, you apparently have gender dysphoria, so you're mentally ill. I don't really like it when people do that because first of all, people that are mentally ill, they can't control that. Exactly. It's not like they decided to be mentally ill, right? And right. secondly, you're describing gender dysphoria as as a severe thing, um, whereas it's not. It's at the same level as anxiety and depression. Why? It's not just because you look in that darn mirror and you hate what's looking back at you. It's because society itself treats you well, parts of society treat you very badly. Yeah. Because they don't, you don't understand. have a voice. Right. And instead of trying to understand or just loving someone just for being them, it has to be so much judgment placed on anything that's different. You know, it's it's always judgment on something. Like if you're not this way, you know, it's it's a problem. Or if you're that way, it's a problem. And I don't know. They should there should be judgment conversion. Um that's really good i'm gonna write that down i'm gonna steal that (laughs) oh that's really good um it's it's ridiculous what does it hurt you to respect someone yeah i think i think what it is is that you know there's three different things that i i point out in the book and i don't do it in a malicious way i do it in a very academic and caring way to, to show people of all faiths and all, all cultures, you know, my, my book doesn't speak to people within the LGBTQ so much as it speaks to people that are outside of it. I want people to understand what they don't understand right now. And for all of humanity, we've been creating mythology around things we don't understand. Right. For Mm -hmm. example, here's a great example, leprosy leprosy was a huge problem for a very very long time in 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 human history but leprosy if you look it up was described by the catholic church and and christianity specifically as the hand of god punishing somebody for sinning against him and if it wasn't that person they were still being punished because of the sins of their parents and that's in the Bible. You can actually find these things. Um, you know, God finds detestable in, you know, in the Bible. Leprosy for close to 3,000 years, and that's well before you know, the New Testament's 
you know, made their debut, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people thought that. So for the better part of 3000 years, humanity was thinking, we don't understand why these people have this skin condition where their skin basically rots off of them, right? It must be God punishing them. And then in 1873, this Norwegian scientist discovered that it's a myobacterial infection. It's a germ, you know? <laughs> and, and it was like, this is what it really is. And this is how we were going to deal with it. And it would still take, believe it or not, another 65 years after that discovery for mainstream Christianity and society at large to say, we concede it's not the hand of God. Yes, this, this Norwegian scientist was correct. It's, it's a bacterial infection. And, you know, we're going to do everything in our power to treat these people respectfully and get them the help they need. But, you know, it took a very long time because humanity works at a very slow pace, especially in certain subsectors of humanity. Because, you know, when we can't explain something, or we've learned something our whole life that, and something comes along that goes against that grain that we've learned, we see it, that outlier as either sinful and abomination to God, or, you know, God punishing that person. And it has nothing to do with any of that. And one of those, you know, one of the things I'll explain to people all the time is, you know, I've never been gay my whole life. I'm not gay, right? I'm attracted to males. I'm attracted to men, but I'm not gay because my brain is female. And now my body is completely female, like to see me and to hear me and, and, and to be around me and all my girlfriends that I grew up with, they don't, there's no male about me, right? Um, Everything about me, my anatomy, my, my everything, my, you know, my everything is female, right? right? So, you know, they came up with this thing that Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah. I would hear this over and over and over uh, again. Pillar of Salt, that yeah. was a town that um, it was a, a lot of homosexual activity in the town and it was destroyed. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and when you really look at what Sodom and Gomorrah was, there's this text that I, I encourage every, every Christian to read that, go, that predates the, um, the New Testament or, you know, all the different versions in the New Testament, the Old Testament, it repeats that it predates the old Jewish texts, right, that describe that Eve was not actually the first woman on earth. You know, Adam's first wife was actually named Lilith. But you need to look at the old Jewish text to find that information. There's actually a there's actually a book that's only half completed. It's called the Codex Sinaiticus. And I had the pleasure of reading a, you know, a translated version of, of this old text, which predates the Bible. And it's one of the iterations that came that we still have access to because the original compilation, which became the Bible, the, there was no such thing as a Bible, right? All the Bible is, is a compilation of a bunch of writings by different people that wrote. Um, you know, different scholars, different theologians. And, and um, so they wrote the, in prophets that wrote um, all of these different verses and scriptures that we later compiled into these Bibles. Right. That's why we have the book of Leviticus. That's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all these other things in, in the Bible. Um, 
But if you read into those, you'll realize that it wasn't until the late 1940s that the word homosexual even was invented. There's no such thing as homosexual until the 1940s, right? And yet people see that word in the Bible and they think it was there forever. But that word didn't exist. And it's because we, we are in an endless cycle of reinterpreting the Bible to fit what society is today. Well, and, I only read the King James Version, so you are correct. Homosexual is not listed in that version. It's correct. It's the newer, it's the newer versions. Correct. Yes. And and when you look at um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the whole fable behind that, you know, I say fable because we already know a lot of the teachings in the Bible are based on, you know, a fable to teach us a lesson in life so that we can be the best versions of ourselves right? You know, this is the way you should treat other people, you know, the golden rule, all these things. So there's stories in the Bible to help us learn these lessons to be better people and to be closer to God, right? Right. But but in Genesis, wasn't Sodom and Gomorrah connected to one of Noah's children? Like there was a child after um, the ark the, in the ark situation that where he saw his father naked and he's the father of the Sodom Gomorrah generation. I can't think of the name. I can't of think of the name off the top of my head. Yeah, but so absolutely yeah, right. That's yeah. his lineage right there. Yes. Um, that story right there. So um, that, that's the place. And it, and, and not only what they were stealing from each other, like that was a crazy town. <laughs> it was a crazy town and, and it yeah. was dealing with something that we now know is pedophilia. It had nothing to do with, you know, grown men and grown women doing whatever, although it probably happened because people, you know, people were had a different sexual orientation for as long as humanity's been around. I mean, you know, we've had people with with all sorts of, you know, mental deformities or, or anomalies since the birth of humanity. There's been conjoined twins, you know, children with cleft palate, you know, all sorts of things. A child built, you know, born with with two fingers instead of five on each hand, you know, all sorts of things happen. There's over 100,000 different birth anomalies that we're aware of and millions of iterations of each. But somehow when you attach sex or gender to to those anomalies, people get what I call (laughs) diarrhea of the brain, right? They for some reason that's taboo to them. And, and it's just another part of the diverse, you know, complexity of the human condition. And when you really look at that pillar of salt, Lot's wife turned around and looked at the city being destroyed. And what was the warning that she was given beforehand? Don't look back. Right. And she did. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Well, in Greek mythology, you know, they were told, don't look at Medusa. Because if you look upon Medusa, and, and it's hard not to, because she, at one point, she was so beautiful, but she could still seduce, even with her, her, her newfound, dare I say, ugliness that 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 curse put upon her. Um, those people would be turned into a pillar of salt. So, polytheism which is greek mythology was based upon was around for 15,000 years polytheism the age of polytheism and there's still some polytheism religions in this world hinduism is one of them right um you know then we had the monotheistic religions that came into existence um and 
really were set in stone about 300 years after the age of Jesus, right? So when Constantine came into to power and he ordered the first council of Nicaea to decide which books of the Bible, which books would make it into the Bible and which ones would not. That really threw me for a loop because I said, and I've asked lots of theologians this and they scratched their head on this as well. You know, so you're telling me this is the instruction manual for all of humanity. That's great. Okay. I've read it many times. I've read a lot of them many times. That's wonderful. So explain to me this. If it's the instruction manual for all of humanity, why on earth did we have the arrogance or ego to think that if God wrote the Bible, why are we editing what he wrote and only allowing certain books to go into this this thing we call the New Testament, which eventually became the King James, the NIV, which the Catholic Church uses, the New Living Testament, all these different things. Um, and, 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 you know, let's not be short-sighted here. There's 4,200 different religions on planet Earth right now. 4,200. Oh, that many. Wow. Yeah. Most people, when I ask them, I say, all right, name the religions. They'll be able to name the top five or top six if they're good at it. But then I, when I say to them, there's actually 4,200 religions, you know, they, they don't constitute a whole lot of people with, with those because some of them are um, in cultures that, that are not, you know, mainstream, like here in America or, or in Europe or, or other places, but they still exist. And then I said, well, how many denominations of Christianity are there? And they'll say, let's see, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, and they'll start mumbling and mumbling and they'll come up with maybe 10 or 12. And that, and, and I go, wow, you're pretty good at this. There's actually, believe it or not, 33,000 different denominations of Christianity. Are you and a serious? lot of people, <laughs> they throw their hands near and go, heresy, there's no chance of that. And then they come back to me and go, you know, I just looked that up and then I called my pastor and doggone it. You're right. Wow. Wow. And it's, it's because through the ages, we all just started disagreeing with the interpretation that one religious group had when they interpret the Bible. And, and then they get caught up on one of those things or several of the things that were interpreted and they form their own church. You know, that's how the Mormons came about. That's how Lutheran and Methodist and, and Jehovah's Witness and, 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 you know, Southern Baptist and Northern Baptist. And, you know, you're seeing right now the the Methodist church splitting yet again into two more religion, two more sects, right? Mm -hmm. So it happens all the time. It's just, you know, Mankind has a way of screwing everything up, you know. Um, you know, the real thing that I try to teach people with this book is whatever religion you are, keep doing it, keep loving God, keep loving Jesus, right. keep loving whoever it is that you are praying to. Because at the end of our journey, we all are on different roads, but honey, we're going to the same place, and it's a beautiful place and it's filled with love and light. And love and light is all that matters. And with love and light, you have the word spirituality. So I like to teach people, it's great. Have your religion. That's the organization of it all. But be spiritual. 
And how do you be spiritual? Be kind. Do something good for somebody. I wrote a blog not too long ago about doing something good for somebody. I don't know if you actually got a chance to read it. I know you read some of them, but mm-hmm. do something for somebody was was a little story I told about when I worked. I'm in I'm in Tampa right now, and there's a part of town called Ebor City, um, which is basically the New Orleans of you know the Bourbon Street of Florida. Hmm. Believe it or not, I mean it's 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 almost a replica, and. There's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of homeless people um, and it's tragic and they're always, you know, begging for money and stuff like that. So, you know, when I first started working there, they said, don't give these people your money. I said, why? Because they're going to use it for drugs. I said, oh, okay. So this one day I'm walking up and it was back in the day when I actually ate Burger King, which I don't eat anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Burger King. Um, I don't That's eat fast my food. World for you, huh? Yeah, my fast food days are over with, right? So I'm walking in, and as I'm walking in, I say hi to this gentleman who's sort of sitting in the bushes because it, you know, it's the middle of the summer. It's in Florida. It's really super hot, and this guy has a card piece of cardboard over his head because of the sun and he's sitting under the bushes and I notice on the sign it says you know I'm a vet back from Afghanistan and I can't get a job and I'm hungry and I looked at him and I as I passed him and I turned around and I walked back to him and I looked at him and I said sir are you hungry he goes a little but it's okay go go eat your lunch I understand and I said, are you sure? He goes, ma'am, it's, it's quite okay. I said, okay. Um, why don't you stand up and, and follow me in anyway? Because you look like you're going to pass out. Well, at least accompany me in to the restaurant so that you can get some AC on you. You're with me at that point. How's that? Right. Oh, that's really nice of you. So I walk up, walk in. I said, when you do eat here, if you ever do, what, what do you usually get? Oh, I don't know anything. I said, huh, I'm about to get a number seven, which was like the original chicken or something like that. Some, some really horrible thing for you. But I went and got up to the counter and I said, Oh, do you like those chicken sandwiches? He goes, yeah, those are good. Aren't they? I said, yeah, um, I'll get two number eight meals or whatever it was. And I'll get it with two large drinks, please. And um, I also want two hamburgers to go along with that. He's like, are you buying two because of me? I said, of course I am. Mm. He goes, oh, and he started crying right there. I was like, oh, don't cry. It's okay. And I said, why don't you go fill up these two drinks? And, um, I said, he goes, what do you want to drink? I said, whatever you're having, you decide I can drink anything. So I'll have whatever you're having. So we went over the table together and there's two different bags and he puts my bag down next to my seat, his bag next to his seat. And I looked at him as he put everything out. He took everything out of the bag and he says, here's your drink. You know, I hope you're okay with iced tea. I said, sure. I said, I want you to have a blessed day. I have to go back to work. So I'm very happy to have met you, but please eat your lunch and eat it slowly and just enjoy this air conditioning and God bless you. And he says, ma'am, wait a minute, wait a minute, ma'am. You forgot your bag. I said, no, honey, 
Both of those are for you. I want you to eat your first lunch and then cool off and then wait a half hour and eat the second one. Because by the time you're done eating that second one, the sun will be going down a little bit. It won't be as hot. That we can have a little time in here out of that. And if it's only for today, I'm sorry, but that's all I can do for you right now. And he just he just stood up at that point. He says, I hope you're not offended. I said, what? And he gave me this huge hug and he was crying and he made me start crying. And I was like, oh, and, you know, those are the simple things in life where okay. people don't realize we're, we are just one paycheck away sometimes from being in that exact position. Exactly. You know? exactly. And we judge That's- people. Right. That's what I was just about to say, you know, and you never know, you never know how you made his day. And I know um, before, before um, I started recording, we were talking about how um, you helped uh, four people, you know, from committing suicide. And I hear so many stories where a person was about to attempt suicide and they got a phone call. Somebody knocked on the door or someone gave them a hug or um, presented an act of kindness. Like you never know. Um, if a person is on the edge. So you have to be careful how you treat people. Absolutely. You, know, you yeah. really, really, really do. And um, we also talked about, you know, that that fact that I read online um, in year 2015, it was 98% um, of transgenders that, you know, who were treated poorly um, contemplated suicide. And out of those 98%, 51%, 51% of them attempted suicide, you know, and why? Because they, they, they can't be themselves, you know, they don't have a voice, you know, and I love the fact that your book is like, in, in a sense of saving grace, you know, like I understand, you know, and, and you reaching out to people and your platform is all about that. You're a saving grace for those who have been ostracized by their families, you know, don't feel like, you know, no one supports them or understands them or just love them. Some people don't even need understanding. They just want to be loved. They just want to be accepted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's two things that so, so interesting. You say these things that's, that's remarkable because there's conditional love and there's unconditional love. God teaches us unconditional love. Right. right? Um, I don't believe religion teaches us that by any stretch of the imagination. I believe religion teaches us to be conditional about that because, you know, and I think politics does that to us. I think society does that to us. I don't want to pick on one demographic, right? I think they all do because, um, you know, this, this whole thing about 98% of people that are transgender, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we never, just as, a, as some information, we don't put an S after the word transgender ever, right? So we don't say transgenders, right? We, so it's a transgender individual or whatever. Okay, gotcha. But you are correct. You're, 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 you're spot on. 98% have thought about it at one point, because not because we don't like ourselves. That's another misconception. It's part of the mythology that's out there that y'all just want to kill yourselves because you're, you're gender confused, or you're going through a a gender identity crisis and, and, you know, or whatever. No, that has nothing to do with any of this. The reason that we contemplate suicide is one, it's really hard to be born incongruent all by itself. But when you get faced with a society that treats you really horribly, it becomes insurmountable. The pain becomes very insurmountable. And when then, and then when you come out to your family or your friends and they, 
you become disenfranchised from them. A great number of people that are transgender, unfortunately, lose their families. You know, they, they lose their mom, their dad, their children. Some of them have children, um, you know, because they had to assimilate. I was one of those people that had to assimilate, you know, um, but 51% true. Try to commit suicide at one time in our life. And when I was 14, I, I laid out a bunch of pills on my bed. And one night I was going to consume those pills because as I, I had told you before, I don't remember if it was on the broadcast or before, but I have always been attracted to boys. And I, I realized this concretely when I saw the movie Grease in 1980. <laughs> so you have Olivia Newton-John and you have John Travolta, right? And I'm looking at both of them going, God, she's so pretty. And then I looked at him and I go, oh my God. Yeah. Right. And he was a hottie. Oh, look at that dimple chin. Love it. And, and so here I was like smitten by both of them. And I was sort of trying to figure out why do I like John Travolta in one way, but I'm looking at Olivia Newton-John and I think she's pretty, but I'm not attracted to her that way. Like I am John Travolta. Why is that? And I remember telling my friends one day after they all asked, you know, Hey, what did you think of that great movie Greece? You know, cause that, back then today kids would go, Oh, that's so geeky. Right. But back then we all were like, wow, this was such a cool movie. And they'd say, what did you think? And I said, Oh my God, I loved the way Olivia Newton-John Sandy would have different summer dresses on in every single scene. It was like she was constantly doing wardrobe changes and those ribbons that she wore in her hair to lift her hair, her beautiful blonde hair up. They were like, did you notice they were different colors in almost every scene? They had, So the boys were like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Because <laughs> boys don't think about stuff like that. And the, but the girls, my best friend Shannon and a few others were like, yeah, I really love those ribbons. And the boys are like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. And so I was always very comfortable around my girlfriends, but not so much the boys. They love to talk about, you know, and this is getting into when we were 10, 11, and 12. And they love to talk about engines of cars. I had no idea what was in an engine of a car and shotguns, because of course, more deer than people, we got to protect ourselves, you know? Right. <laughs> so I didn't know a thing about guns or, or any of that stuff. So I had a really difficult time with that. But by the age of 14, I went to this horse farm and this boy from my class and I kind of hit it off. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm feeling that John Travolta feeling with this boy. Um, and something in me is thinking he's thinking the same thing about me. And one day things got in, you know, a, a little bit closer, nothing happened, but we sort of knew something was going on. And I said, I need to tell you something before, you know, something tragic happens here. I'm not gay. He goes, oh, you're not. Cause I think, you know, I think I was thinking back then, oh, he's, he must be, he must be gay. That must be why he's attracted to me. Cause I still look androgynous but I still look like a boy I still hadn't gone through puberty puberty yet right mm -hmm. and um I mean I was still going through it I should say right so um he says so what's going on here between us and I said well 
sit down. <laughs> I had him sit down because he was the first person I had to tell. I'm, I know I look like a boy, but I'm, I'm not. And I'm, I'm not some weirdo. I'm not some crazy person like in that movie, Psycho. I'm not weird. I'm just somehow something got screwed up between heaven and earth. And I came out wrong when I came out of my mom. I'm supposed to be a girl. Um, and, and I know I am, but my body isn't. So I think you're really super cute, but I'm not gay. And he goes, let me think that over a little bit. And he turned on, he turned on a foreigner song. I remember. Right. And we're listening to this album in his room and, and um, he says, okay, I get it. And we had ourselves a nine month relationship at that point. It was kind of an interesting thing. And I was, I felt good because he recognized me at that young age that I was just a girl that was born a little differently. Now, back then you couldn't, you didn't even know there was no such word as transgender back, back in, in that day, that word did not yet exist. The first time I ever even learned about anybody like me was in 1980. And this is going to throw you for a loop girl. Ready? Oh, yes. In 1980, there was a show called The Phil Donahue Show. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I am. <laughs> okay, good. Um, he had a guest from the United Kingdom on, and she was one of the most sought-after models in the world. She was one of the Bond girls for Your Eyes Only. She was in that movie for Your Eyes Only, and she was the Bond girl. She was six foot tall, absolutely gorgeous, right? Mm -hmm. And he says... Here she is, Carolyn Cossey, and what you need to know, hi, Carolyn, how are you? Have a seat. And everybody's clapping and standing ovation because she's a movie star, right? Mm -hmm. Carolyn Cossey is a transsexual. She was born Barry Cossey, a boy. And she transitioned um, at a very young age and, you know, and became Carolyn Cossey because she knew at a very young age that she was a girl. She's not a boy. She's never, never was a boy. She's a girl. Um, and that was my first thing. So I'm like, what was that word? And then out of magic, <laughs> just like that, he says the word transsexual again. So I wrote it down and I'm looking everywhere in my house, right? I'm trying to, <laughs> trying not to get caught. Right. So I looked through the encyclopedias. <laughs> Damn it, that word wasn't in any encyclopedia. I could not find that stupid word. And then all of a sudden, in the back of the encyclopedia, as I reach my hand back and grab this black book, and on the cover it says, everything you ever wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask. It was a book from the 1960s that was written. I forgot the guy's name. But um, in this book, in like the last 10% of the book, is that word. And that word was there and I was getting flush in the face like, oh my God, there is someone else out there that's just like me. And it's actually a thing. It's actually a thing. People are going to Bangkok, Thailand and having this thing called a sex change. That's what they called it back then. Now it's called GCS, gender confirmation surgery. Okay. And I went through that on my birthday of this year interestingly oh, okay. so it's, it's kind of an ironic wonderful thing for me um and you know so this gcs or sex chains you know it, it basically you know I, i'm just going to use the 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 um 
the elementary school version of the interview here. It turns an, an Audi into an innie. and everything is absolutely anatomically correct and functions the way it's supposed to as well that's how far the science is with that so so do you have a cycle i don't know if that's personal but well cycle is with hormones right so the hormone regimen i was on before was very strong and and that's what caused me to 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 grow my top half right i'm trying to be respectful to your listeners i that's when i got my my my, my girls on top. Right. Um, and a lot of things started changing, you know, with my, you know, my emotions changed. We were suppressing that toxic chemical I had in my body. I call myself a testosterone survivor because I had to go through my puberty. I'm going to actually be one of the first people that you've ever heard this from my first puberty. I went through with testosterone, you know, intoxicating my body with this horrible poison. And I'm one of the few people on the planet that actually gets to go through puberty twice. It's not fun. (laughs) The first puberty is hard enough, girl. I mean, the second one, it's wonderful because you're actually starting to change the way you should have when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. And so something amazing happens to your psyche and everything else. And it was a wonderful experience for me going through that. So, um, cycles as far as that goes the doctors try to do their best to make sure that um you keep an even keeled um version of it people that have cycles are the ones that get injections so you start off with this very super high version of of estrogen going into your body so your estrogen levels are through the roof and then over time they start to drop like on a bell curve and as they dip you know, that because, and then they grow again and then they dip and then they rise again and then they dip. Those are the cycles. To, and it sort of follows the same cycle as a cisgender woman would go through, you know, except we don't, we don't have a period, so to speak. And okay. that's the tragic thing, right? People don't understand is that I would, even though I'm left-handed, I would have had, if God said, well, it's going to cost you your left arm. I would, give my left arm to experience one period in my life, even though, you know, you talk to any woman, they're like, Oh girl, you don't want that. I I, I just thought that I'm like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Because when you don't have something that you desperately want it your whole life, you want it. I know girls that are infertile. I know three women that are friends of mine that, that were born with malformed uteruses. And and so that they, they became infertile. They can't, carry a baby and the one thing they want in their life so badly is to be pregnant and to have a baby and i feel so bad for them they ended up adopting of course um god bless them and their children um so that's a sweet thing but they still missed out and those girls were the ones that really related to what i said right there they they completely understood when i said i would give anything even my left arm just to experience a period once in my life and believe it or not, I did. Um, Because after surgery, you kind of have that going on. There's a lot of stuff that goes on after that surgery. That's, that's different because you are now anatomically, you know, except for a uterus and and ovaries, you know, the same, you know, um, it would take a very skilled doctor or surgeon to tell the difference. Um, You know, so for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that 
I have health insurance. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have good health insurance that covers this stuff. Nice. Um, and, um, and, and that should be a staple uh, on the book, right? Mm. That not my book, but any book that the medical community knows that this is a necessary step for people born like me, just like it's a necessary step to try to help that infant that was born with leukemia to overcome it. Cause you don't want that little, that little infant that can barely see to die of, of cancer before they even get their life started. We will do anything as parents to make sure we fix that baby. Right. right. Same thing with congenital heart defects. I know a few people in my life, including me, I was born with a congenital heart defect and my, I didn't know I had a congenital heart defect until I was in my late forties when I had a stroke. Whoa. I ended up having a stroke in my late forties because of two holes in my heart that I had since birth. And they had to correct them through a series of procedure, heart procedures that I had to go through. I have a healthy heart, but I have two holes in it. Um, and they had to do that. So I wouldn't have another stroke. I lost the left-hand side of my body when I had a stroke. And after four days of praying to God, you know, I may, I may not follow religion, you know, like that, but I pray to God every day, girl, every day. And I, I said, God, please, I know I'm, I'm being given this burden and, and I understand I, I accept it. I accept whatever this burden is. Um, but please take care of my, my, my children. I have children. And, and the thing that happened was amazingly four days later, they, they usually take you out of the ICU as you're recovering and put you in the hospital for a week afterwards in a regular room. Mm -hmm. They discharged me directly from the ICU. So I went from the ICU, you know, looking at death straight in the eyes to exiting the hospital right from there. That's how wonderful a recovery I made. Wow. Praise Mm -hmm. God. Wow. Oh, and this, and it just gets crazier and crazier because at the age of 25, I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. So I I've also battled cancer for the better part of 25 years. Um, and the cancer, believe it or not, was caused by, and you're going to, you guys can look this up under hematology. It's called polycythemia vera. When the doctor started in giving me hormones um, full-time, cause I had been self-administering hormones since I was 18, hmm. like, you know, I was buying them overseas and not seeing a doctor because I was too scared and blah, blah, blah. But I knew enough about the endocrine system to be safe about it. But to any listener that may be like me, do not ever take, take hormones without a doctor. You know, it's very dangerous. It could kill you. Um, I don't, I don't condone that practice. I may have done it, but I learned a valuable lesson from it. Um, but, you know, when I finally got on hormones full time, he noticed that the cancer started to disappear. And he says, you know, I've been a hematologist for my whole career. And I have to tell you, being a guy was actually physically killing you. Wow. Because now that we've gotten the testosterone out of your body, this cancer is disappearing. It's going away. And I'm like, oh my God. And he said, literally being a guy was killing you. Um, and, and it just put another reinforcement into the whole 
thing that people, so many people just don't want to understand. And, and it's sad because I'm just a person that wants to be affirmed. I could wear boys clothing every day of my life for the rest of my life, but I'm still a girl. It's not the clothing. We get compared to cross-dressers and drag queens all the time. I have nothing in common with any of those. Zero. I don't have one thing in common with a cross-dresser. I don't have one thing in common with a drag queen. God bless them for their own right. If that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. And drag queens are some of the most entertaining, wonderful. It's, I think it's a wonderful art form because mm-hmm. it is an entertainment sort of thing. It's a caricature of a woman, right? It's not... Right. It's a man, you know, dressing up like a woman and performing, you know, they've been doing that since vaudeville, right? Um, But I don't have anything in common with those. Oh, it must be because you were abused as a child. Well, no, I was never abused as a child, ever. I had a beautiful childhood. Um, You know, you must have fallen away from Jesus Christ. No, I've never done that. Although, (laughs) you know, a few times in my life, I was given an exorcism. Yeah. Yeah. Like full blown out Linda Blair spinning her head around on the beds, you know, vomiting green stuff. Yeah. So that's why you read and you you said you read part of my book already. The beginning, I'll I'll remind you the very beginning of the book. I write, (laughs) how the hell did I go from being a shy, do no wrong and deeply loved child to a grown woman disinvited to Christmas with the It was just as well since I was already busy running from their plan of giving me a good old-fashioned Catholic exorcism. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You bet your ass that would be a party to crash. You know, that's how I start my book with a little humor. But at the same time, it touches on a very serious subject that they really defined. They tried. It wasn't my parents. My parents had no idea this happened, right? No, but it was, you know, my, a relative of mine. Um, that had instrumented this whole ordeal. And I was just, it it just takes your humanity and throws it in the garbage because um, I still remember the conversation. Um, This, the, the, the the next time it had happened, I was a little bit older in my life and, and I was going to go to Christmas after not spending so many Christmases with my relatives. They said, Oh, honey, come over to our house. And this is before I transitioned fully. They still saw me as, they saw me as a boy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't really know the real me, you know, people in the music business did, and I'll get into that in a minute, but, you know, they didn't know me. So they, they said, they said, um, we want you to be there. We think you're the, the, the favorite relative because, you know, you did so much with your life and we love your music business stories. They're so funny. And, and we just love you so much and, and want you to be here so I can give you a big giant hug. I love you so much. I just want to t- give you a big giant hug on Christmas Eve. Can we have a serious talk? Sure, honey, go ahead. I'm transgender and I'm transitioning. I've been transitioning for the past year. What, uh, you're one of those? Yeah, yeah. One of those? Yeah, she goes... Oh, 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 your uncle, your uncle just heard that and he is pissed. Oh, listen, listen, listen. You realize that God views you as an abomination, correct? I said, no, no, honey. No, he doesn't. Well, you obviously strayed from Jesus Christ. No, no, I haven't. I I haven't strayed from Jesus or, or, or God 
or any of that stuff. I don't have a demon in my body. I don't, well, you know, you just don't know. Maybe you're going through a midlife crisis is all. I said, I said, honey, my mom knew about this when I was four years old and she protected me my whole life. She was the most beautiful woman in the world that protected me because she had true unconditional love for me. And my dad, the same goes for him. That's a blessing because a lot of a lot of people don't. We don't have that that luxury. I am a blessed individual to have a family and friends. And, you know, I was very well known in my my hometown. And when I came out, you know, I I, I told all those people um, about it and they were all beautiful to me. Um, it's the ones I didn't know up there that 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 started with the the bias nonsense. You know, the people that live up there that started the um, crazy talk about it. And um, but everybody that I knew, which was you know in the hundreds and hundreds, and mind you, there were less than four thousand people that lived in that town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were all beautiful people to me. And when I was sent a crucifix and sent the prayer of Saint Benedict. I was so offended and I was just so beside myself that here I was disinvited to Christmas. And yet I'm the most beloved of all of the the children, Uh, you know, my, my family and extended family, you know, all the relatives, there's about 26 of us and I'm the favorite. Right. And I'm like, I went from the favorite to the least favorite, like within one word, transgender, boom. It was like a switch, right? So that's one of those things that, listen, since then, this person has learned a whole lot about what it is. I was able to capture their heart by teaching them a few things. And now they, they understand completely. They've talked to doctors and understand that completely now. Um, and, you know, it made, it made me the adversity I faced in my life made me who I am. Right. So, right. You know, stepping back in time, you know, how did I become so extroverted? How did I become this scared person, scared to transition, scared to, to face people? Well, I got into music at a really young age. I started writing music by the age of 13, by the age of 16, I had already accomplished writing several songs by the age of, I think I was 19 or 20. I want to say 19. No. Yeah. About 19 years old. I was in New York city at a music convention at a songwriters convention. And I had four, four of my best songs with me and four packets. I was going to take these four packets and give them to the best producers in the room. And I was going to be a star. That that was me. Here it is, everyone. Here's my music and, and you're going to love it. And (laughs) so me coming from what's called the Borscht Belt, it's the Jewish capital of New York state, you know, the Catskill mountains. Right. Mm-hmm. I made my way into the Hilton hotel, made my way into the room before anyone got there. Cause I was so excited. I got there before everyone else. There's seating for a thousand people in this ballroom. Okay. It's going to be a big, big conference. Right. I go to the back of the room and what do I want? I want to get a bagel. I love bagels. I needed me a bagel. So I'm looking at this spread and there was this bagels everywhere and I couldn't decide what I wanted. Did I want a cranberry bagel and everything bagel? You know, what did I want? So um, this woman, this older woman walks up behind me and she goes, it's a bitch, isn't it? And I said, yeah, I can't decide what bagel I want. You know, she goes, 
well, either can I. So where are you from? I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the Catskills. Oh, the Catskills, Grossinger's Hotel in Liberty. I said, you know, Liberty, New York, that's where I'm from. And she goes, oh, yeah, Dirty Dancing. That's, that's, you know, that whole area is, you know, that was what that movie was based on. I was like, yeah, it was. And so we really hit it off and we're just talking about bagels and, you know, all sorts of crazy things that had nothing to do with music. And we had a really great conversation. And um, she said, what's your name? And this is something that transgender people don't normally do, but I'm a very transparent person. I wrote a book for crying out loud. If I'm (laughs) going to teach people to overcome adversity, I should surely be able to say my old name. My old name was Edward Ambrose Washington. I went by the name Eddie. Eddie was a little bit more effeminate than Edward. Edward sounded so... English nobility, you know, I, I couldn't take it. So it was, my name was Edward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was Eddie. Eddie was my name. And I said, I'm Eddie Washington. And, and um, incidentally, you know, non sequitur, my name is Amber Rose Washington. And it has been since the age of eight years old. Because at age eight, I wrote my full name out on a piece of paper and the word Ambrose stuck out my middle name, which was my grandfather's name. Uh Ambrose. And I started saying it to myself a few times, Ambrose. And then I slowed it down. Ambrose, 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 Amber, Amber Rose. Hmm. I don't know what Amber is, but I love Rose. And I wrote it down. And then I went downstairs in the encyclopedia and looked up what Amber was. And it's, it's a petrified, you know, fossil, a beautiful, they call it a beautiful petrified fossil. Um, and, And it has sort of a, an, orange brownish um coloration to it it's it's gorgeous to look at amber so i said oh sweater can you see me i can see you yeah you're wearing this beautiful sweater um amber is more of a brown that's closer to what's on your necklace so i would say amber if you ever looked at fall leaves okay um when they turn yellow and then they get darker yellow as the time goes on that that's a form of amber that color fall is beautiful yeah Yeah. oh it's so gorgeous up there in new york too and so getting back to this woman she goes hi my name is well eddie my name is ann ruckard i said hi miss ruckard because that you know you you learn to be polite and to say miss ruckard and she goes oh no 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 you call me ann we've been talking for oh my god 25 minutes as soon as she says that someone taps on her shoulder and says just a few minutes and she goes just hold on one minute she goes listen, Eddie, I have to go, but give me one of your packets. And I promise you Monday, whether I like it or not, I will give you a call back. How would that sound to you? And I'm like, "Uh, why am I going to give this older woman my, 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 my press kit? You know, now I'm only going to have three, you know, I felt so bad for this lady. Like I'm like, I'm about to say, "Mm, no, thank you. I I, want to save this for the producers because I had no idea who she was. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I ended up giving her the packet anyway. I felt bad, but I said, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Here, take, take it. And I'm crying inside. And then the lady taps her shoulder and goes, Anne, we got to go. Your keynote starts in less than five minutes. And she walks away and I go, holy shit, key, keynote. <laughs> she, she's going to do the keynote speech for this, this conference. Oh my God, who the heck was I just talking to? And so I sit down and the guy that's sitting next to me says, how in the world did you get Ann Ruckard to take your press kit? I said, I didn't. She asked for it. And he goes, no, 
you've got to be the luckiest person in this entire room. And I look behind me and now there's a thousand people sitting in all those chairs and I'm up front. And right as I said that, I look to the stage, the lights come on and somebody from ASCAP comes out and he says, a woman that certainly needs no introduction with all of you. Well, except for me, (laughs) I didn't know who the hell she was. So he says, but I'm going to tell you anyway, she is on the board of governors and her position is vice president of the Grammy awards. What? Yeah. The vice president of the freaking Grammy awards. She started the jazz foundation of America and she's worked with, um, Barbara Streisand and she's worked with Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson and Aretha Franklin and Madonna and Sting and, you know, all these people, um, Suzanne Vega and the the list just went on and on. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Who did I, I just gave this to like the prime jewel. And he guys, the probably the most respected and most sought after and loved person in the entire music industry without further ado here is miss ann ruckard and everyone stands up and gives her a beautiful standing ovation and me too because i'm learning that i just i just got the big prize for the day (laughs) so it's just one of those moments where you go nobody is ever going to believe what happened to me today this is so bizarre and so i i leave the meeting And sure enough, that next Monday I'm at work and she leaves a message on the answering machine. For those of you that are under the age of of 35, an answering machine is this old thing that had a tape tape inside of it. And people used to call a phone that you had to take off the wall. And, you know, so she left a message on my parents' answering machine because I still lived at home at that time. And since this is Ann Ruckert, I'm calling from Quincy Jones's office and you know, I really liked your music and I'd love you to give me a call back at 212, blah, 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 blah. And so my mom calls me at work and says, honey, you really need to hear this. And I listened to it and I swear to God, no exaggeration. I dropped the phone in my office (laughs) off the hook and I ran out of my office. Didn't tell my boss where I was going to, by the way, I worked for a college back then. Mm -hmm. Didn't tell him where I was going, left, got in my car, drove six miles home and listened to that message like 14 times over. And then finally got the courage of mass to call her back. And she goes, let me tell you something. I really like your music. Um, um, and the reason I'm calling you back isn't because of your music, believe it or not. Although it's really good and I enjoyed it. It's because of who you are. I said, who I am. So I wish we had speakerphone back then. So my parents could have listened into this conversation because it was so beautiful what she said. She said, you sat at that table that morning while we were looking at bagels and you didn't want a thing from me. It was as if you didn't even know who I was. Now, I wasn't about to admit. (laughs) I wasn't about to admit that I didn't know who the hell she was, right? I, I was just playing it soft at that point. She goes, you didn't ask me for anything. Everyone's always asking me for something. And I want to tell you that song track one, not very interested in it. It's well written. So you definitely have skills. Track two, we're going to use that track. And track three, we're going to use that track. Because I had three songs and the fourth one was sort of a a medley that I had written. And she only mentioned the three songs. And she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call so-and-so at this number. And we're going to set you up. And I'm going to give you a little experience watching them master an album. I said, I'm going to watch an album being mastered. She wow. goes, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, 
And I think he can help you out in finding a good venue for your songwriting. I said, okay. I ended up going to, to this building in New York City, right off of Fifth Avenue, went upstairs into this beautiful suite. I mean, huge, beautiful suite where they were mixing down Madonna's Like a Prayer album. What? Yeah. I was, I, I was actually able to to visit them as they were mastering that album and i was like oh my god this is really cool and and he sits me down and he says so Anne's told me a lot about you and i said oh my god i'm just so i mean at the time he definitely knew it. he thought i was gay i'm sure because i was just you know i was just so fluffy and and you know it just i was just so happy and and everything and i didn't really care what he thought and and he says i have a project for you but it doesn't pay any money. And I was like, Oh, here it comes. Here's the bad news. Right. And he, he leans on me and says, I have a couple of writers that are writing a song for an exhibit and a documentary. And it's going to be to bring awareness to the children of Africa, specifically Ethiopia, where these girls walk 10 miles in each direction to get water. And it's muddy water at that. So they can have drinking water during the day. And they do this every day. And we want to bring awareness to that that whole community of people and this exhibit is going to be, you know, our foot in that door to, to show people that, you know, we take a lot of things for granted here in America. And I said, I'm on, I'm on board. Cause I was already a member of Greenpeace international at that point. I was totally on board with that cause. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to. So I met the other people involved and they wrote this song that sounded like Luther Vandross. And I said, am I allowed to talk? They said, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're actually hired in as the arranger. So yeah. I said, this is all wrong. We need to make this authentic African music and, and we need right. to bring in different African drums and be respectful to the culture. Um, so, you know, we need, we need somebody that is more knowledgeable than me um, to do that. I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, sitting here you know, saying this is the song we're going to use, but I also don't feel comfortable saying, you know, you know, this is how the style needs to go. I understood African, authentic African music very well. I'm very, you know, learned with different styles of music. Uh So we brought in these people, these African drummers, which were absolutely amazing. They were just so wonderful to meet. And, and that's what they did full time is, is do shows with that. And we recorded the album and, um, just a few short years later, I was told that not only did they give me credit in the documentary, but the exhibit is a permanent exhibit in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Wow. So I was like, wow, how beautiful is that? And it's like one of my proudest moments in the music business was was to be able to do do something so profound and in, in to that, which is what gave me all this, this, this wonderful feeling of, I can do, if I can do that, I can do anything, mm-hmm. you know? And if I'm so scared of being who I really am, I need to let that go. I need to, I really need to let that go. And by that time I was already doing, like I said, self-administering hormones. So I was already taking estrogen pills and, and, and everything else and low dose, of course. Um, and I ended up doing a lot of gigs after that, where I was, I was, you know, working with 
some of the you know biggest stars in Nashville of all places. Um, Nashville is an interesting town. You know, once you get there and you're part of the club, you are absolutely part of the club. You named some people in Nashville and I worked with them. It was, it was wonderful. I worked with some of the most wonderful people, you know, that everyone's heard of. And, and it was really a neat little closed town, but I was scared to death to be me. You know, I had an apartment there, you know, I was going back and forth to New York and I was scared. I didn't want to come out to anybody. And then I, I started working around somebody. I didn't work with him directly, but around this, this writer who is gay and another writer who is actually transgender. And I remember this one day standing outside my apartment and there was this, the road sort of curved around where I lived. And so people had to go slow. And I had this big pickup truck comes screaming around the corner with his big tires and his big flag in the back. And I was like, Oh God. And his windows were down and he's screaming out this song at the top of his lungs, like singing at the top, every lyric perfectly. His voice was absolutely dreadful, but he was, he was doing the best he could. Right. And I happened to have known that, that, that transgender person in that, that gay individual wrote that song, that country music song that he was singing was written by someone that was gay. When I say gay, I mean a lesbian. It was a female. Um, she wrote that song that later went on to be one of the most sought after um, wedding songs that people didn't realize was written by somebody that was a, a lesbian. And, and I'm having one of those brain moments where I can't think of the name of the song oh, and I'm trying to stall. The name of the song. <laughs> I, I, by the end of the interview, I'll remember because it was just so funny that the truck passed me and on the back of his bumper, he had a little round sticker and it said LBGT, right? LGBT mm-hmm. with, a, with a line going through it. Sort of like, you know, don't smoke here. That one of those signs, you know, with mm-hmm. a circle with a line going through it. And it yeah. had LGBT, LGBT in it. So he's like a homophobe or whatever. He was against people in the LGBT community, which I was part of but I wasn't really part of I I didn't really know anybody in the LGBT community right Mm -hmm. I was just this person that was born incorrectly and I'm trying to live my life the best I can but to see this this irony of this person you know driving down the road singing this song at the top of his lungs painfully unaware that what he's singing was written by one of the people he hates the most on the back of his truck that was just that was sweet irony for me. I, I enjoyed every moment of, of that. And it made me feel empowered. And for the first time in my life, that night I was going to a, a bar mm-hmm. and sitting with me that night was Dan Beard at the Georgia Satellites. And um, at the table next to us was Billy Ray Cyrus, um, Miley Cyrus's dad, right? Mm-hmm. Achy, and, breaky heart. <laughs> uh-huh, achy, breaky heart. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in Nashville, you meet everyone. It, it just happens. They all go to the same places and they hang out and, you know, uh, and you meet these people. And so it was the evening after one of the, I, I used to go to a vocal coach um, down there and that vocal coach happened to be one of the most sought after vocal coaches in the country. One of his clients was Taylor Swift mm. and Keith Urban and wow. And Haley Williams of Paramore, right? So you start you start working with people and you're working with people that work with everyone. So that's how I ended up getting introduced to all those people. And 
I said, you know what, if I can do what I'm doing right now and performing in front of people and writing songs with some of the, the biggest people, I can come out to somebody, I'm sure. And sure enough, um, a celebrity that we all know walked into the bar and I'm not going to name her name because I don't have her permission, but I, I am, I am, I want to say I'm acquaintances with her. I haven't talked to her in quite a few years now, but we used to talk quite a bit. Okay. She walks in and she and I start having a little conversation and she's, you know, she's one, she's sort of wondering about me. She sort of has this thing like, what's your deal? You know, she goes, come with me to the bar. We go up to the bar and I'm like, yes. And she goes, I'm going to tell you something about myself. And then I want you to be able to tell me, feel comfortable enough to tell me something about yourself. Cause I'm curious about something. And I said, uh, okay, go oh. ahead. She goes, I'm pansexual. I said, what? I'm pansexual. I said, honey, I don't even know what that means. I, I may be, you know, within the community and all this, but it doesn't mean I know all the words. So I said, well, what, what does that mean? She goes, oh, it means I can love somebody that is a man or a woman or in between or somebody that's gay, somebody that's straight, um, you know, somebody that's transgender you know, male, transgender, female, one, either, or, um, on, on that level. I said, wow, that's amazing. Oh my God. I had no idea. She goes, yeah, it's everybody knows. I said, well, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me. And she goes, what's, what's your deal? I need to know it's bothering me. And I said, I, I don't have a deal. She goes, yes, you do. <laughs> she caught on. And I said, all right. I, let's just say I'm incongruent. And she goes, at the top of her freaking lungs, she, she says, Oh my God, you're transgender. And she wraps her arms around me and, and she's hugging me. And and I'm like, Oh my God, girl, shut up. You're so loud. And I, I'm with some people tonight that I didn't out myself to with. And so I wanted to tell her that. And, And in my head, I'm saying all these words, but, um, I did tell her, I said, yeah, can we keep it our little secret right now? Cause I've not exactly, you know, ramped up the, the ambition to tell everybody. Oh, sure. No problem. So that was the first person I ever came out to was, was kind of a celebrity in the music business. And that gave me the, the feeling that I can do this because then I went on, went on to produce a show with um, some of the guys from um, Goodfellas and the Sopranos from HBO and Sopranos woke up this morning. Oh yeah, yeah. I worked. I worked. I worked with a couple of those guys on a show, and I was I was acting as a producer of a show, and it was um it was a lot. It was an offshoot of American Idol, and we had we had quite a few people working with us there, and and part of the folks that were working there were the the cast of The Sopranos, and um. I did that. And then the, you know, immediately after that, I I ended up working with the kids WB um, tour that used to go around all of the six flag amusement parks and do performances. And and I I did some production work there. And then I did the 25th Woodstock reunion uh, up in Bethel, New York, you know, for the 25th reunion, I was helping out with that on, I was just doing stage management. I wasn't performing or anything. Um, But it was fun because I got to meet people like Stevie Nicks and Don Henley, and, you know, there, there had to be like 40 or 50 people that I had never met before 
um, from different genres of music. Um, and they were all just wonderful people. And that's super cool. I know I you always, said you had an interest. You said you had an interest in life on the, the first chapter. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that some people might find it interesting. That's, that's true. But the reality for me is that people are people are people. And, you know, famous people, I never got starstruck with people because they're just people with bigger problems than you and I have because <laughs> they have more to deal with than we do. And, and, you know, and one of those people is a guy named Colin Mockery. Do you know that name? No, I do not. He's from the TV show. It's a comedy show called Whose Line Is It Anyway? I've heard of the show. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they stand up, a bunch of guys stand up on stage and, and, and Drew Carey or one of the other hosts will, will make them do improvisational stuff. You know, they'll ask the audience for some different things they're going to do. And then for this half hour show every week, you know, um, they'll get up uh, and, and do these little skits. They're hilarious, but they're off the top of their head, you know, and they'll sing songs off the top of their head and do all this funny stuff. Was Wayne Brady on there? Yeah, Wayne Brady. Yeah, I was just going to say his name. Yeah, Ryan okay, Stiles, okay. Ryan Stiles, Wayne Brady. Yeah, all those guys. So that's whose line is it anyway? The bald guy <laughs> on the show, um, Colin, forgive me. Um, the bald guy on the show is is Colin Mockery. And he's, he's just a super funny guy. His daughter, her, her name is Kinley. She's transgender, right? Hmm. She was assigned male at birth. And for her 28th birthday, um, he put up on his Facebook post, you know, this beautiful birthday card and the birthday card was congratulations. I love you so much. And such a supportive parent, him and his wife are just beautiful people. Right. So there was thousands of people commenting on this and it was, it was just a really nice thing to see so many people embracing the fact that here's this individual trying to live their life as authentically as possible. Mm -hmm. And the parents are saying, we love her and we always will unapologetically and unconditionally. And then about 10 people come online and start seeing the most vile, vicious, horrible, disgusting things I've ever heard another human being say to another. And I've never even had this type of issue, but with her, yeah, they were doing some nasty stuff. So me and a few of the girls that were there overseeing the, the, you know, the, the timeline at that point said, we, we privately chatted and, and said, let's, let's, let's deal with these people first. Let's report them to Facebook. And then let's also ram them over the head with some real information and, and get rid of them. So we basically told them off. Um, and we also got Facebook involved and Facebook did remove them. Um, three days later, Colin's giving an interview at People Magazine and I, I read People, People Magazine. So I'm reading it and Lo and behold, there's a few of the quotes that I was using against some of the perpetrators. So he's quoting me in, in People Magazine and some of the other girls uh, right there in People Magazine. And, and I'm, I'm like, oh, that was sweet. He didn't need to do that. And, you know, and no apology needed sort of thing. And, and you know, you helped. And when you help, that's a wonderful thing. I just so happened to wrote the, write this book, Colin. Do you think you could review it for me? Of course, give me the book give me the stupid book, you know, and let me, let me do it. And, and um, I gave him the book and he gave me this unbelievably wonderful quote and it's on the back of the book. Um, and, you know, if you don't mind, I want to read this from him because he's such a funny guy, but he got very serious in this and I'm going to read just a piece of it. He wrote a very long um, 
testimonial, which in which is in the front of the book um, on page three or something. But he goes, this is a warm, funny, educational, and very human story. A reminder that we are all just humans trying to be our best. And that, like this book, is a precious thing. And then he puts his name, right? Um, in the book is the full, you know, the full three or four paragraph thing. But I just thought that was just so beautiful of him to 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 do um, in that and that's that's just the way it works and i think everybody should should do that is we should always do something good for somebody pay it forward you know exactly you know and that's what that that's a symbol of paying it forward um you know in that regard but that's why i wrote the book so i could come out and and actually help people help the youth the transgender youth that are in so much trouble right now with trying to come out and you'll notice today kids are coming out of the closet I say closet, but transgender people come out of a deep, dark bank, dank basement, right? We're not in a closet, you know, it's deeper than that. And they're coming out at four, five, six, seven, eight. Surprise, there's your age of articulation. Like I told you at the beginning of our, our interview, right? Right. And people are saying, oh, it's just a fad. You know, they're being indoctrinated by Democrats or whatever they're saying, right? It's it's such weird stuff they come up with. Like, the wow, what? that's what they say yeah i've heard them all honey i mean i have heard them all so i said um i said well what can i what can i say to that you know that's just completely off the off the rails crazy um the fact of the matter is it's not a fad these are children just like me i want it like the dickens to come out to more than just my mom at four years old you know I'm sure Carolyn Cossey from the, you know, the, the Bond girl, she came out early. There's examples of people that come out before puberty that get puberty blockers. That's the big thing now, puberty blockers. That, but they've been around for 11 years. But you know, we've had an administration, a toxic administration the past four years that said, you know, we don't like transgender people and we're going to, you know, he had a, over 100 things he did tragically to the transgender community i don't know what his beef was with transgender people but more than any other policy that he's ever enacted he attacked the transgender community more than any other population even more so than the border wall what was that you're speaking of trump right yeah he had a problem with everybody (laughs) he had a problem with everybody yeah Um, (laughs) um so you know here's this man being very evil minded towards people like me and and, you know, you have to say to yourself, you know, he's reinforcing the, the stigma, the stereotype, the misinformation, the mythology about transgender people that they're just a bunch of fakes. Ben Carson, you know, who's supposed to be, you know, a, a surgeon, um, you know, it, he's really not a surgeon. He's a surgeon, but he even said on TV, my seventh day Adventist religion comes before surgery. And that's not what you sign up for when you're, when you're a medical doctor, you know, your, your, your medical profession has to come first to save lives. And he was the one that on national TV said, transgender people are just men wearing dresses, bearded men wearing dresses. And there's clips of him saying that. And I'm just like, so disheartened that somebody with his education level could be so, I hate to say it stupid. Um, It has nothing he has absolutely no 
understanding of, of what this is. And it's sad because every one of us, all we want is affirmation. So I'm trying to protect these, these youth so that they can, they can actually get those puberty blockers, delay puberty for them. Because honey, if you don't delay puberty for a transgender person, whether it's a transgender man or a transgender woman, um, if you don't delay that puberty, we're going to spend the rest of our natural lives trying to undo the permanent damage that the first puberty did. And let me tell you, those procedures are painful. They hurt so bad, but we will do anything, anything to get a semblance of congruity in our life. That's all we want. Not to be confused with people that have sexual fetishes and, you know, some of the weekend warriors, I call them, you know, not to disenfranchise anybody. Everybody has their own thing, but, you know, we're getting conflated with different sects of society that we don't belong under. I'm transgender woman. I'm a post-operative transsexual woman. But at the end of the day, I'm just a woman. That's all I am. That's all I am. I'm nothing else. Um, I don't need all those labels. I wish we didn't need labels in our society. But unfortunately, to advocate for a demographic that's marginalized or a minority population, we need to. That's why we have Black Lives Matter. Right. right? And, you know, if we didn't have that, that's why I get so upset when I hear someone say all lives matter. No, honey, that's the default. Right. All lives matter is the default. You don't need to say the default because we already know the default. We're saying black lives matter, just like we say trans lives matter, um, because there's a certain demographic that's at risk, you know, being treated unfairly, you know, not not living necessarily. Yeah. and, And not living up to that constitution that we created, the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance that ends with, and liberty and justice for all. Well, where's the liberty and justice for all? The all part is missing. We still haven't achieved that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I hate my country. It means I'm smart enough to know that we have a problem and it needs to be fixed. What do we do as human beings, right? We, we, We try to fix ourselves. And how do we do that? The only way we fix ourselves is by identifying that we have a problem first. And that works on a national level too. Exactly. Exactly. I'm 100% agreeance with that. We can't say all, but all, all but exclusion. Here's the fine print of that all. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we've talked for a long time. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I don't want to, I don't want to go over it. Well, 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 no, I mean, be okay. I was about to say, we have a staple question before you leave us. Um, I was enjoying just talking with you. This is a great conversation. Um, So our staple question here um, on my podcast is if you can describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Unapologetic. Hmm. And why? Because I am who I am. And, um, people that know me, um, and there's quite a few people that do know me, um, know that I'm, I am who I am. And, um, I faked most of my life. That's why I have so many friends in Hollywood, right? Actors and so on, because I was an actor. I had to act for most of my life and be something completely unnatural to me. And now I, that I am living the, the, the life I need to, I want to teach other people how to live that life. So I'm going on a national tour. Um, right now, COVID is slowing that down, but I'm scheduled to start a national tour um, early summer this year, 
hopefully. Okay. And um, we'll be teaching people how, not, not just things about being transgender, or what it means, but how to get over adversity and get success in your life and be unapologetic for it. I am who I am. Love me or leave me. I'm not here to hurt anyone. I'm here to help. And I'm unapologetic about that. There it is. <laughs> and I love that. That's what this whole platform is about. Um, I thank you for taking out the time um, to be on my podcast. You've been on um, larger, you know, media platforms. And I'm just, I'm just humbled that um, you agreed to be on my show today. I really am. And Oh, it's fun. And you're a sweetheart. <laughs> you really are. Thank I- you. And I can't wait uh, to finish reading your book, which is entitled Hiding From Myself, everyone. Um, and, and you can find it on Amazon. Is there anywhere else you can find? It's available in 26 countries and it's available anywhere books are sold. It seems that most people buy their books from Amazon from what I'm seeing, but um, (laughs) look it up on Amazon, Hiding from Myself by Amber Rose Washington. And um, I I assure you, whether you understand the topic or not, it won't disappoint you. I promise. Yes, it's a great starter. So I'm I'm reading it. Like I said, I didn't want to, I want to enjoy it. I didn't want to rush through it, you know, for the interview. I want to read it, you know, and enjoy it. So um, thank you again, you know, thanks again. And to everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget to be your own kind and to be kind to each other. Bye. <laughs>